Hey, I'm Asher. And I'm Jackson. And what you're about to listen to is strictly confidential. Uh, hey, Asher, how's your week been? My week's been pretty good. It may not sound like things are going well, because you may in the background hear the most horrible cacophony of screeches, that being... <laughs> Two of the three cats we have fighting in the background. I've closed my door to the my new office, but uh, not really enough to dampen that sound. It is, it is when it's occurring, seems to be the loudest sound on earth. I feel like cats are very good for hyperbolizing because everything they do feels like the most intense thing possible. Yeah, I think so. Are so describe the cat dynamics to me. You have three cats. Two of them were Allianne's, and one of them was yours. Before I mean, let's just focus you- on the three cats to start with, because I feel like I didn't envision myself so young being a person living in a three-cat household, but it, it is the slippery slope. Do you feel like between two and three cats is the line between normal and crazy? No, but I'm saying the difference between two and three cats is not very big, and that's the slippery slope, because you're only seeing a 33% increase in cat, and that's not very much. And then if we get a fourth cat, that's just 25% more cat, and that percentage goes down. Yeah, it's incrementally smaller from there. You're scared that by 2022, you could have 18 cats there? Well, the math checks out, yes. What's keeping that from happening is the cats controlling their own numbers by murdering each other because they have not learned to get along yet. You just hear this, this uproarious, terrible sound. I almost used cacophony again, but I used it once. And you can't and you can't use a word that good multiple times in the same episode. That's just not fair. Because this is an episode where I brought the topic, and I'm not going to bring a word as good as cacophony. It also reveals that I don't have very many other good synonyms for loud sound. Yeah, actually, maybe I would love you to keep using that word because it makes me sound smarter. (laughs) But so I have a couple questions about your cat situation. Is a part of it the issue that now there are more cats than people? I didn't even think about the fact that we're outnumbered. (laughs) Like, obviously, size-wise, you, Asher, are bigger than the three cats put together, even standing on top of each other in a trench coat. But overall, if it was like a voting populace, the cats would decide everything. Yeah. And if they get organized, it's done. There's no way you guys can do anything about that. I guess then I should be doing everything possible to encourage the animosity between these animals. Okay, so... (laughs) We can be sure that there is no uprising and no insurgence that is being orchestrated. So just to make sure I'm following, you're saying that your solution to being outnumbered by cats is allow one of the three to die. I wouldn't say that to Allianne directly. So what's the dynamic between the cats? I know you have Katsu, and then there are two others. I have my teeny tiny cat named Katsu, who's extremely fluffy and adorable and came from the streets, was a rescue cat, and also lived alone for years, and is not interested in sharing space with anyone else, and is really, really scrappy from her time where she was surviving by herself. Then we have on the streets, uh, on the streets, the aforementioned streets and bazooka is a huge 
brown cat who is also a ginormous dope. Uh, he is not declawed and is very capable of being alpha cat, which isn't really a dynamic that cats have, but uh, cats more or less just want their own space, not related to domineer any other cats. And then Marble is the good one. She's a calico cat and is precious and sweet and also declawed, so largely defenseless and stays out of most fights when she can. So it's basically fights between Bazooka, which is out of the three, the best name for a cat, and Katsu. I would argue that my cat has the best name, but yes, and you don't really get to see it because by the time that you step in to break up the fight, you have two cats scurrying in opposite directions and a cloud of fur just slowly descending. Okay. In, in terms of cat names, I want to make fun of my grandmother for a split second uh, because there's no way she knows how to listen to podcasts. But she has, she got two kittens probably five or six years ago at this point. I don't exactly remember the timeline. Um, and it's impossible to tell with cats. But the cat's names are officially Lady and Guy. <laughs> are those terrible names or perfect names? Help me decide. I'm kind of into just calling your animal by what it is, cat, dog, chicken, but that necessitates only having one. I think that if she only had one cat, it would have just been named cat. It's like, well, this one's male, this one's female. What are we going to do? Boy, girl. Perfect. Boy and girl. I, I align in the other camp, probably the opposite side of where you align, where I think that naming animals by person names is so much better because... Imagining sitting next to a cat that's just named Douglas or Richter is so good to me. I mean, that's hilarious, but it does lead to misunderstandings, which has happened before, where one of my coworkers said that she had to go home to let Dave outside. And I said, <laughs> don't talk about your dad that way. <laughs> I, I think picking, I don't know. I don't know if that's enough of a risk for me to not do it. <laughs> Because I'm laughing so hard about that now. Imagine if I got to laugh about that regularly. <laughs> okay, this has to be, and we sometimes get into a little bit niche and personal stuff in the beginning. For dog people, this is an excruciating conversation. The naming conventions? Just talking about cats in general. I know a fair amount of dog people who can't tolerate speaking fondly of felines. Well, as you know, I grew up a cat person um, and then made the, the fortunate transformation into a dog person. But I think that most of what we're talking about here, anybody can understand and anybody can recognize. But do we want to dive into the actual topic of today? Yes, please. So I've been working four hours trying to come over to a good transition and I still have nothing. So today we're talking <laughs> about the Axeman of New Orleans. Ooh, this is the first time in a while that I've found a topic not searching for one. But I was watching Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, which is how I know about everything that's going on in the world and how I get a completely biased opinion on it. But with John Oliver, I was watching and he talked just briefly about a serial killer in New Orleans named the Axeman. And so uh, let's get a, a little bit of backstory for the Axeman. He was an American serial killer active in New Orleans, Louisiana from May 1918 to October 1919. Okay. At, so he was only active for a little over a year in New Orleans. Some people connect some killings as early as 1911 to him, but that's not 
as credited and as connected as these these were. It's a relief to know that this is a, a historical figure. It's about over 100 years ago. Uh, but I guess I should have assumed that with the name The Axe Man, because obviously that name would have been taken by now. Yeah, I mean it's an old it's an old name for an old thing, and honestly, the the name Axeman is the least interesting part about him. Uh, just to clarify, I am saying Axeman and not Saxman. The incredible Lonely Island song featuring Jack Black. An important distinction I want to make sure that comes across. And you're also not talking about the failing Paramount Pictures film series X Men. And I'm also not talking about Axe Cop, the amazing comic book series where the dad draws the comic for the story his, uh, like, four-year-old, I think, son writes. Yes. I'm happy you know about Axe Cop. Axe Cop is great. Axe Cop is great. Um, But yeah, as the name implies, victims were usually attacked with an axe, and it was usually an axe they owned. The crimes were never motivated by robbery because the axe man was purely focused on killing. His total known body count added up to six killed and six injured, which is big, but not huge. That's a decent amount of people affected, but it's not huge enough to get you... Like, had you heard of the Axeman before? I have not. So, I think if he had killed 30 or 40, we would be talking about him and there would be David Fincher movies about him titled stuff like Zodiac. Like, people would care... Obviously, people cared, but people would care more now about it than they did at the time. I hate that six isn't a high body count. I do too, but I also am kind of just being upfront about the fact that there have been enough killings by specific people in America that six doesn't feel important enough. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's sad. There's no joke we can make about that that makes it feel better, but that's why we don't know about him. Well, then obviously there's something interesting about him because you're bringing him up as a topic today. So I'm excited to hear about that. Yeah, so this is where it gets interesting, and it's the motivations of these murders. And there are three big motivations. And obviously, I'm saving the best one for last, so we're going to kind of power through these first two. But the first two are important for reasons we'll talk about later. Most of the victims were Italian-American, which led many media outlets to believe that it was mafia-related. Specifically, a good number of the victims were grocers, but for some reason, there isn't a wacky theory about, like, he had a weird experience with a grocer and only killed grocers. I think that part was more coincidental. But people viewed this as kind of like a a godfather situation where, oh, they're Italian-Americans that are dying. Of course it's mafia-related. A little bit racist, probably. Definitely racist. A racism that I don't think I've seen very much, uh, but doesn't make it good. The next one is that the serial killer's focus was sexual because a lot of the times he would kill women and several of them were women killed in homes where the husbands made it through the night, like survived. So he came in, killed the woman, and the husband was able to leave alive. Hmm. And so that one's not as interesting either. The last theory, though, is why this topic stuck out to me, and it's what John Oliver briefly mentioned in his piece, but I had to do more research because it's so good. And the theory comes from a letter that was attributed to the killer. And this letter, it's important to note, this letter was published in the local newspaper, the Times Picayune. I don't know if I'm pronouncing Picayune right, but I don't know. It sounded fun. It sounded fun. So while we read it, recognize that the average person would have read this 
letter next to job listings and crossword puzzles and photos of people they had never met. You ready for the letter? I'm ready. I'm also reminiscing on the fact that old, ye olden newspapers were so eager to print anything. Like, we would not publicize and encourage... This this is essentially encouraging serial killers by giving them a platform to speak to the public. Did you ever watch any of the documentary series about... Uh, what is his name? The Unabomber? No. So with stuff like that and with stuff like Zodiac, I bet that this had something to do with a little bit of around. I don't. I don't know if this this is entirely speculation, but if that um, with Zodiac and the Unabomber, the reason they published his, their letters and manifestos and stuff was because of threats. Hmm. And so I wouldn't be surprised if this guy, the Axeman, threatened one person at the newspaper. And it's just, it seems like it seems like a small newspaper, so I feel like they they were desperate for something big. But yeah, so let's dive in. This will take a little while. I'll play a little bit of music in the background, so it's it's a little bit more peaceful. But we got this. Okay. Hell, March 13, 1999. And ask any questions along the way. Feel free to interrupt whenever. Okay. Esteemed mortal of New Orleans, the Axeman. They have never caught me and they never will. They have never seen me for I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleans and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know who they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, be smeared with blood and brains of he who I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis Joseph, etc. So this guy, hey Jackson, I'm going to interrupt. This guy's a, a big nerd, huh? Yeah, a huge nerd. Okay, just making sure. And I feel like this is a period of time where you can speak like you're a black and white movie villain and be taken seriously just speak like that on a tuesday in a bar and people will think oh yeah this guy is dangerous and dumb (laughs) but tell them to beware let them not try to discover what i am for it were better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the axe man i don't think there is any need of such a warning for i feel sure the police will always dodge me as they have in the past They are wise and know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you New Orleans, or you Orleanians, think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am. But I could be much, (laughs) but I could be much worse if I wanted to. If you wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens and the worst, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Now this part of the letter, all of that stuff, was kind of a prequel to the important part. Okay, all that faux King James Bible talk. All of the angel of death, I am partnered with the devil, uh, witchcraft nonsense. All, of, all the- of that is important because it is a precedent for the next three and last three paragraphs here. Now to be exact, at 12.15 earthly time on next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. <laughs> in my- earthly time. Yep. <laughs> and he put that in parentheses to clarify. Uh, which I've always viewed per- parenthetical clarification like that to be 
necessary. Like I wouldn't put something in parentheses if I didn't think people would be confused otherwise. So it's amazing that he put earthly time. Human hours. In my infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition to you people. And here it is. I am very fond of jazz music. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. No. (laughs) If everyone has a jazz band going, well, then so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is some of your people who do not jazz it out on that specific (laughs) Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, and it is about time I leave your earthly home, I will cease my discourse. Hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it might go well with thee, I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed either in fact or realm of fancy. The Axeman. Jazz music can keep even the devil himself away. And so now you understand why they published this. (laughs) This is basically like in the Bible when God says, put blood on the doorframe. Yeah, but God wasn't like, okay, I love blood. And if you leave me a tasty blood snack, I will leave you alone. There was a lot more symbology involved than just being like, ooh, I like that swinging jazz. (laughs) The premise of this, in case you got lost in all of that, is that March 19th, 1919, which is, now that I'm looking at it, an awesome date, Anyone not listening to jazz music in New Orleans would be murdered. And guess what? (laughs) There was not a single murder that night. Everybody was playing some jazz. I have to assume. You have to assume. How incredible is this, though? That, That we as a culture would forget about a man who threatened a city because they weren't listening to enough jazz music. I'm looking up five New Orleans record labels to find our list of suspects. And there's even a little bit more backstory too. There's a theory that maybe the Axeman was getting revenge against so many Italian Americans because the Italian Americans were the first ones who were able to get into studio space to record jazz music, but black jazz musicians weren't getting their due credit. Hmm. And so a lot of people actually viewed it as this guy is a like a racial rights warrior who is trying to help our people because we created this culture and this cultural movement around this music that slaps so hard, but the Italian-Americans are taking it for their own. Interesting. I didn't even consider the fact that now jazz is just a style of music, but during its creation, it was very inter- it was very intertwined with the culture. Issue- issues of race during that time. Yeah. And another theory is that the Axeman was mad that the New Orleans Red Light District, Storyville, was being closed down because it was specifically a neighborhood in which jazz music had flourished at the time. And we know how old Axie feels about jazz music. Loves it. Can't get enough. Can't get enough. Once more, sometimes sometimes loves jazz music so much he'll kill over it. And this is the kind of documentary I would watch. A true crime show about the Axeman. Potentially 
narrated by Jerry Seinfeld. Well, we all know that the devil loves himself a good old-fashioned breakdown and that God loves himself a four-chord strumming rock song. So having this uh, presumably demonic entity, the Axeman, be satiated by another form of music is, uh, I don't want to say canonically accurate, but it's not unprecedented. It's believable. It makes sense. And specifically, it makes sense in New Orleans, because I feel like if I had heard this story without New Orleans, I would have immediately pictured New Orleans. I don't think you have to be much of a music nerd or a historian to know that New Orleans is the birthplace of jazz. Yeah. And then the, the last story or the last theory comes from a woman named Miriam Davis, who wrote The Axeman of New Orleans, The True Story, who thinks a man named John Joseph Davila wrote the letter, who was a, he was a musician and jazz composer. And right after the letter was published, he came out with a composition called The Mysterious Axeman's Jazz, hmm. which if I can find a recording of, will 100% be the outro music for this episode. Oh yeah, I hope you can. It may be I lost hope I can time. too. There's a really good I, chance. I mean, this would have been genuinely a hundred years ago. Yeah. So there, there's a good chance that it's impossible to find. But there's also a good chance that if we can find it, the Creative Commons license has been has expired. <laughs> You're right about that. But yeah, this guy, the Axeman, is a murderer that is not interesting for the amount of people he killed or really the way he killed them. Because honestly, I feel like Axe is a shortcut to yeah, being interesting. Yeah, not particularly creative. Right. Whereas, so, like, I, I don't, I don't want to make our show us speculating the most interesting ways to kill people because that seems very much what I don't want to do. But we do have a basic understanding of marketing, and axe murderer is already its own genre, so just being an axe killer doesn't really set you apart. And I could see that this man being defined by the axe part instead of being defined by the jazz part would be frustrating because it might just be that he decided to kill people and then realized... Well, I've got an axe and I've read about axe murders. That's a pretty good solution. Imagine how frustrated he would be to find out that his name was the Axe Man instead of something related to jazz. Yeah, yeah, he wanted to be the jazz man. Because even that's bad, but his passion for these crimes wasn't axe related, wasn't mafia related, wasn't sex related. It was it was funky jazz related. I love this vision that March 19th the whole city of New Orleans. And I would watch a movie just about this night, about where it started with the reading of the letter and ju just showed the night. But this night must have been mixed feelings for old Axeman, because obviously he was enjoying killing, but he also, the only reason he had started doing it was to inspire jazz into the hearts of millions. And that night, March, March 19th, 1919, Everybody in the city was listening to jazz. Either out of love or self-defense. Now, I grew up in Louisiana, so I have a, a soft spot in my heart for jazz. My dad is a huge fan of jazz, and we've bonded over that. Uh, you live in Utah, so obviously you like jazz, the real birthplace of jazz, Utah. Uh, but... Not everybody likes jazz. It's a little polarizing. It's kind of, uh, some people really enjoy having structure in their music, uh, which I can understand. But everybody 
likes living. Everybody likes living. And everybody likes Oreo cookies. But uh, I think I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We need to get our gear on and get ready to hit the Snopes. Product design, the Illuminati, and sweet cream-filled cookies. Obviously, I had to do this one. The Oreo cookie, it is an American icon, a symbol of after-school snacks, child-like wonder, I guess. Everyone knows what an Oreo is. I don't need to talk it up. But Oreos have a very strange design and this has been brought to people's attention pretty recently actually not that recently 2012 was a long time ago now but there was i remember seeing meme posts where people compared the mayan calendar to the oreo cookie and saying that like oreos predicted the end of the world uh, yeah not actually that much similarity between the mayan calendar and the oreo cookie also the mayans were, were uh full of shit but we're not talking about that or the 2012 movie that came out during that time we're talking about the ornate floral question mark pattern that decorates the surface of every single oreo cookie there okay. is a belief that it might have some actual significance beyond being purely decorative and it has been linked by some people to iconography for the knights templar and the freemasons now, wait, 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 wait. Oreo cookies? Yeah, you know. The pattern on Oreo cookies. I would recommend I mean, that everybody at home break out their pack of Oreo cookies that they almost definitely have because this is such a universal and ubiquitous. Is that the right word? I always try to throw in a smart sounding word, but I already used cacophony, so I'm good for this episode. If you think you know what an Oreo looks like, go ahead and take another look because the pattern is so bizarre and specific that you kind of have to take a second look at it. Okay, I'm Googling it because I actually do not own an Oreo, but that's because I don't like chocolate, which is a completely different topic. Yeah, this, uh, this pattern's pretty specific. Wow, I found it. Cool. This pattern is pretty specific. Yeah, are you seeing any sort of iconography that would make you worried that we're all being brainwashed or that there's secret communication happening between some sort of elite organization? I don't know about all that, but there is a theory that the this coming from a unnamed Reddit post, so give, that has a lot of credibility, but this post says the symbol around... The word Oreo on the center of the cookie was designed from the Knights Templar cro Cross of Lorraine, which is a symbol of quality. The quote-unquote flowers on the Oreo were rendered using the Knights Templar Cross Patier. The dots, flowers, and dashes represent the three degrees of ancient craft Freemasonry. The arranging of the dots around the cookie were strategically placed to form a five-pointed star, the symbol of the Order of the Eastern Star. Interestingly, didn't take the, the low-hanging fruit and call it a pentagram there. All these symbols are still used throughout the Masonic bodies, including the Eastern Star, the Knights Templar, and the Scottish Rite. Think it's just a coincidence? The inventor, yeah. who rapidly and mysteriously climbed from the mailroom to design executive, 
was responsible for today's look of the Oreo, and he was a Freemason. So Snopes okay. goes on to say, so what? Which is always the wrong question for a conspiracy, because the so what is the part that is... The, Interesting. It's, well, and it's also the, where the most BS comes in. So, so what? Here's five bullet points. Perhaps they're using it as a means of covert communication between members of the Illuminati. Perhaps they, it's a means of asserting ownership over everything and everyone as a tool of branding. Perhaps they're a form of psychic programming or mind control. That's wild. Perhaps they're a means of luring the unknown masses into a satanic or occult worship, getting them comfortable with satanic iconography. Or in the case of the cookies specifically, they're a means of tricking untold millions of people to participating in a holy or unholy communion against their will every time they ingest an Oreo. Um, I'm going to let everyone just come to their own conclusion as to what the purpose would be of engraving arcane symbology into an Oreo. Let's get into the history a little bit. Oreos are a ripoff. Okay, I, that makes sense, yeah. The, I mean, Oreos and Nabisco, the National Biscuit Company, which is what that is short for, and I learned today, created a knockoff of a cookie called Hydrox, a chocolate mass-produced cookie with a cream filling. Four years after Hydrox was a huge sensation, they created the Oreo in such a way that was, I mean, they were clearly trying to be the knockoff because they even copied the ornate pattern that was printed on the cookie. So Oreo didn't even originate the innate embossed pattern. It was a cookie called Hydrox, which I can only imagine lost out to Oreo because it's called Hydrox. Does that You've have one X or two X's? Only one, but one is enough to make me think that it is a cleaning supply that belongs under my sink, not a yum-yum cookie that belongs in my belly. Also important yeah. to know, the original Oreo cookie was designed with just a as just a wreath that goes around the word Oreo. The design that we have today actually didn't surface until 1952, and there were two designs that came before it. Wait, how long have Oreos been around? A long time, my man. Uh, wow. The Oreo was introduced in 1912. Wow, that's before the Axe Man. <laughs> too bad it didn't... Too bad Oreos weren't what satiated his killings because that would have been a lot easier. The third probably damning thing for this theory is that we've established and identified the person who came up with the current design, Nabisco engineer William T uh, Turnier, Turner with an extra I in there. Uh, no one's Pretty interviewed yeah. him directly, but people have spoken to his son, and he's been quite forthcoming about his father's thinking. First of all, his dad was not a Freemason. His grandfather was, but he had little interest. Uh, there's some people who try to find numero numerological significance in the fact that there's exactly 90 notches around the edges of the cookie, which... Uh, I read an article about talking about how brilliant the pattern design is that said the the ridges make it so it's easy to pick up, in which case I thought, thank God, because I've been throwing nil wafers all over the place because I can't hold on to them. They're so slippery without the notches. But when Bill was asked about the 90 notches and the significance of that number, he just said, oh, is that how many there are? Uh, I think I just put my compass down and kicked out every fourth degree. 
So yes, literally just exactly. literally just because it was easy for him to draw that pattern, that's what created 90 notches. As professional designers, I think you and I can both recognize that is exactly what we would do. Yeah, absolutely. We would rotate lines a bunch of times and think, that looks good. See, I think I'm coming to my own conclusions here. I think I am not worried about participating in a Masonic communion every time I consume an Oreo. Interestingly, though, while there is no significance to the pattern that Bill created, the Oreo cookies has the Nabisco logo, which is the circle with the antenna looking thing coming out of the top. There's a line with yeah. two crossbars. That actually does have religious origins. The original designer of the Nabisco logo was, he was using it because he found in a really cool rare book, there was a uh, group of printmakers in Venice who used that as their logo. And that was 500 years ago from 19, 1912. So obviously the copyright on that was had long since expired. So he just borrowed some printmakers icon, but the printmakers stole that symbol from ancient Christianity, which the logo of the circle with the double barred cross over it is supposed to be God over the earth. Hmm. And so Nabisco and every Oreo has a symbol where the, the oval is supposed to represent earth and the double barred cross is supposed to represent, uh, the Godhead reigning over the earth. So there accidentally is religious symbology on every Oreo cookie. It's just not the satanic mind controlling Illuminati symbology that people think it might be. That makes sense. That fully tracks. The real tragedy though, is that everyone forgot that Oreos used to have this kind of fat inside of them that is absolutely horrible for you. And most foods in the late 90s took it out but they used to be so much better. Oh my God. <laughs> Oreos used to be so much tastier when they had the carcinogenic fat. <laughs> Oreos were never supposed to be good for you. Just let them be bad for me. Just let them be horrible. It's fine. That's the idea. It's a treat. Can't we just have treats? If you want to treat yourself to some good tunes, I would suggest you listen to some jazz so that you can keep you and your family safe. But after you've done that, you or before. Listen, or before, just so long as you're playing jazz loudly before you go to sleep, you should check out Glen Merle. That's the artist who made our theme song. It's called Threadbare off the album Burden of Proof. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, any place you stream music, and you can check out the rest of his discography at glenmerlemusic.com. Also want to thank Connor Voigt for the Hit the Snopes theme song, or jingle, that you heard a little bit earlier. Love that tune. It was a gift to him. Gift from him to us, so we're always thankful for that. Yeah. And if you want to follow us on our social media, we've got a Twitter at S Confident Show and an Instagram at Strictly Confidential Show. And we post there about upcoming episodes, recent episodes, behind the scenes, that kind of thing. Just to get you guys knowing, hey, this is what's going on. If I want to listen to more, I can listen to more there. Um, or I can hear about what more I can listen to here because you're listening on the place you would listen. You get it. If you want to send us anything, it could be an email. Well, it's, it's got to be an email. It can be anything through an email format. Our email address is strictlyconfidentialshow at gmail.com. We glossed over a major milestone last week, which was our 50th episode. 
So thank you to everyone who has been around for 50 episodes. It's insane. And it's so cool to still be getting support and getting positive feedback. And everyone who stuck around this long, thank you so much. And if you love the show that much to listen to 50, why not tell your best friend to listen to the show? Because they would probably Even like it too. Even if they just listen to one. Even if they just Even listen if- to one. Try to pick a good one. But yeah, I um, I think that's all we do, isn't it? That's all we do. Well, I've been Jackson. And I've been Asher. And as always, you like jazz? <laughs> I knew you were going to do that and it still got me.